Welcome to Identity Inside Out. Getting ID Right, a special innovationoz.com podcast series brought to you by SailPoint. The last two years have seen unparalleled forces drive change. The setting of an unprecedented stage for a work-from-anywhere culture, coupled with an equal evolution of digital services and an ever-evolving, sophisticated cyber threat landscape. The corresponding response to this shift has been a continued focus on complying with the ASD Essential 8 and amendments to the Critical Infrastructure Act, imposing tighter guidelines and increasing cybersecurity requirements. While technology is an enabler, focus is renewed on facilitating change without impact. In this podcast series, we explore the controversies, perils, and opportunities that face industry in the midst of change, and how the organizations today are going to secure their virtual borders against the attacks of tomorrow. Welcome to Identity Inside and Out, Getting ID Right, which is an innovationoz.com podcast with SailPoint. In today's episode, Building Trust in Online Health, we're talking to Amanda Catamol, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Digital Health Agency, and Nam Lam, Country Manager, Australia and New Zealand for SailPoint. Welcome to both of you. Amanda, I'd like to start with you. If you could give me a little bit of an overview of your role and maybe just the last two or three years has been a huge change in the way people think about digital health. Like it must be a, a bit of a wild ride in, you know, the digital health agency and the work that you've been doing and, and the role of the, the organisation. Oh, thanks, Corey. Yeah, Amanda Catamol, I've got, got the great, great privilege of being the CEO of the Australian Digital Health Agency. And yeah, I think wild ride is a really good way to describe the last few years. Uh, it has, uh, in terms of the work that the agency does, so my agency is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and all the states and territories um, on the basis that to affect change in digital innovation that is going to be kind of nationally significant and br- try to bring together the you know many of the pieces of digital innovation across the health ecosystem, you need all of those key governments to have skin in the game. And so the idea was that we were created to enable that to happen at a national level, leveraging all that great work that goes on um, in the states and territories, at, you know, as obviously key drivers of, um, you know, particularly the acute parts of the health system with the Commonwealth being the primary funder and um, driver in the primary care part of the health system. And so for us, that includes a whole range of things. We we support um operate and um, keep secure the My Health Record on behalf of all Australians. Um, And we um, support and operate uh, a range of other national digital health infrastructure that ensures that other digital innovations can flourish, such as, for example, the National Clinical Terminology Service and the National Authentication Service for Health, which allow health providers to connect with the health system and go into things like My Health Record with, with the confidence that we know who they are, they're fully authenticated and the information they get is what they should get, nothing more, nothing less, as well as providing clinical terminologies that enable health information to be passed around the system in a way that's meaningful to those who are looking at it on, on all sides. And what we've seen over the last two and a half years is um, just a, a unprecedented change in all of those parts of the system. And, and of course, you know, NAM and others, we're all seeing it in our different parts of this of this universe. But just to give you a couple of examples, so 
If you look at my health record, one of the things that's really interesting about it, of course, is it was brought into being, you know, nearly over a decade ago originally. We went, we went to an opt-out model, you know, nearly sort of four years ago. And um, so what we had was something that already existed, the ability to have your own health information in your hand controlled by us as Australian healthcare consumers. And, and that's been great and it's been particularly for those who, ha- you know, who, who have the challenges of more chronic diseases or are more engaged with the health system, it's certainly provided a lot of value. But what happened during COVID was because um, we were able to provide uh, be the one place where people could get their test results, could see their vaccination certificate and could then access that along with their other health information, all of a sudden the sense of why this is critical for Australians more generally went through the roof. And we've seen things like a 1,000% increase in people accessing immunisation records, 300% increase in consumers going into their record, um, just generally sort of starting to look in at more documents going in. And then in in terms of health providers, suddenly them wanting to upload a whole lot more information. And so we're seeing you know, GPs putting more in, then obviously as people come in and out of the acute sector, um, as well as pathology and diagnostic imaging. And what's that? what that has meant is that this thing that was always envisaged when this was set up a decade ago and was, you know, I think pretty prescient at the time was this virtuous circle, that the more you have in there, the more it's available, the more it's of use. The more it's of use, the more consumers look at it, the more they look at it, the more they engage with their health professionals. And then suddenly, the biggest change of all is it's not us telling the story anymore of why the record is a really key critical part of the national digital health infrastructure. It's Australians themselves. And so all of a sudden, we are seeing this huge uptick in Australians saying to the healthcare providers that support them, I want that in the record. Why is that not in my record? I'm pretty sure I had a pathology report three weeks ago. Why is it not there? I do not want to have to do that again. And so all of a sudden, this sense of consumers driving their own um, healthcare opportunity and thinking, being the people who lead that work is just suddenly in right in front of us. And so the challenge now is to make sure we can keep up and we can, you know, deliver more and more and more to then really support that drive and what consumers are now saying, well, we expect that now. Um it's not. It's not what we, is nice to have anymore. It's uh, we expect that as part of what we will be able to do to engage with our own health. It's a fantastic example of suddenly people seeing the benefits in real time and suddenly understanding how important important it is. Underpinning all of this are some of the things that you talked about earlier, like authentic, you know, authentication and standards and all of those things that, when things are scaling quickly, have to be in place. So, Nam, can I come to you? Some of the things that Amanda's been talking about, real shifts in the way that medical providers and consumers and businesses operate around healthcare, huge changes. And you've seen that from your perspective as well, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess everything that, that Amanda said, completely agree. I mean, while we saw look, the, the ramp up of more people going online to receive healthcare services just during the pandemic, um, yeah, we've seen like that flow-on impact to health healthcare providers uh, from a from a digital perspective. I mean, if you think about about it logically, you know, if you've got more uh, digital digital patient inquiries coming through, I mean, that's going to cause more strain on the digital backend systems for healthcare providers as you have more just healthcare workers needing needing to to keep up 
um, you know, with, with that demand that, that demand. So subsequently, we are seeing that trend of healthcare providers need, needing to also scale up quickly. Uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, because of the lockdowns, it has meant that organisations have had to facilitate what what we're now calling all ways of working. And uh, I got that uh, from a CIO who I recently met, at, uh, you know, of, of a four, uh, sorry, public hospital. And she said she was asked to think about how she could best extend you know, the services beyond the four walls, both staff and, and patients. So uh, we're definitely seeing that, that flow and impact to healthcare providers. Um, yeah, it is a challenge, but I, I think it's, it's you know, I think it's, it also creates a whole bunch of opportunities for us to explore moving into the future. Amanda, could I come to you? Because as you said, the health record has been around for about a decade. So before it's really been pulled sharply into focus. In terms of the building something that is secure and fit for purpose in the way that people you know, manage their own health care, the way they're records, sorry, and the way that, you know, different health providers are able to feed into it. What are the considerations and how do you go about building something that's so fit for purpose when we're talking about health? So I think there's a number of aspects. It's a great question. It really goes to the heart of what this thing is. Um, I mean, one is it has to be trusted and it has to be reliable and secure. So part of the DNA of my agency is um, our expertise in keeping it safe and secure so that, you know, you know that your information is safe because this is, you know, very, very personal information for people. It goes directly to your health and your health circumstances. Um, And so people need to know that it is always available. So we have, um, you know, uh, almost 100% uptime because you need to be able to get that whenever. And it needs to be absolutely secure. So obviously just ensuring that we have absolutely the top, most top-notch protections for that information. That's one piece. The second one, and I think the one that's, I reckon, again, a real change, is that has to be a balance between privacy and security and the ability for that information to be accessed. And so in the, the way, when it, was, when it was created, there was a real sense of you had to know that your privacy was paramount. And that remains the case. This is, that, that is absolutely one of the key elements. The legislation was framed that way. The way we support and operate the record is, is framed that way. But within that, you control the ability to determine who looks at your stuff. So when you go in those consent settings about which health practitioners and which information are yours, and you can dial them up and dial them down whenever you want um, through the consumer portal and ho- in, the f- in the very near future through an app as well, which will be our next innovation, um, so that you- it's at your fingertips. And you get to say, I want that practitioner to see that, but not that. That is completely in your hands. But um, if we're going to look at the future of health and we're going to look at information as and data as the next big way that health will be transformed, there needs also to be a way to share that material. Potentially in de-identified ways over time, but also for an individual sharing it with their carers, their care practitioners, to make the best informed decisions about them, and arguably then to personalise their healthcare. So over time, you would then have uh, the ability for, um, for for example, for me as a as a healthcare consumer to be given preventative messaging or messaging tailored to my circumstances because my care team have got all that information about me around them. But to do that, I've got to be confident that that's what I want. And so I think that debate that that Australians have always had about this is really deepening now in this new world, which is I want to know it's private and secure, but I also need to think about how it's shared for my benefit and potentially for the benefit of health more generally at a population level. 
yeah, indeed, absolutely. So, Amanda, I, I, uh, I, I've done some reading up on the ADHA and uh, I guess what uh, what it's doing to to help with the the security and privacy of, of citizens um, yeah, and Australians. I think uh, most definitely doing a, a great job and just being informative, uh, particularly like all, all the content that you, you provide on, on your website. Um, I think one thing that's still slightly out of our control is that citizens, uh, from our point of view, are still very concerned about about their privacy, yeah. privacy just as as a whole. It's it's something that we can't get away from. Uh, I mean, just just a, a recent study from OAIC. Um, you know, seventy percent of Australians—that is a majority of Australians—still yep. see you know, privacy as as a major concern. And I think what really doesn't help is that uh, you know when you see cyber attack horror stories or data breaches, totally uh, agree. Yeah, in the news, uh, you read about it. Um, it doesn't help. And I guess the other data point that doesn't help also is that healthcare is still the number one breach sector across all sectors. Uh, you know, in Australia. So I think if we want to build on that trust factor or that assurance factor, my view is this: we just need to simply try to reduce the data breaches, right? Um, and there, there is no silver bullet, uh, you know, in, in addressing that. Um, but given that, uh, yeah, sixty-five percent of your know, cyber incidents does come from inside access falling into the wrong hands. Um, that is something that we we picked up because that does fall into our domain at some point in, in identity security. That's something that I think we we yeah. can assist in. But uh, but if, but even still, you know, the data breach problem is is a major issue. Can I ask a question as you were talking? And I think the idea of patients having control and so an example might be someone in a small community that knows their GP and knows the local hospitals, but they might want to provide access to people at a larger, you know, medical precinct. So just that kind of idea of what remains private and how you can control those settings. But we saw with GDPR, there was this huge thing about privacy. And then so people got lots and lots of options. But all those options, I think sometimes people just turn off to them. How do you keep people kind of engaged and motivated to be thinking very clearly about what level of access and permission they want to give? Yeah, that is another great question. And Nam's touched on that as well, which is around um, ensuring that we're really engaging with Australians and providing them with information, the right amount of information in the right way, because you know what it's like when in any parts of our lives, when you get overloaded, you just we all just step back too much, you know, not what I need when I need it. And so a lot of the work we do, and we do it with a lot of partner organisations, is working out how to share with people the information that's going to really illuminate things for them without them feeling overwhelmed or disengaged. And um, we're very lucky, actually, to have partnerships with right across health and social services, organisations that really reach into their communities and share that information in ways that are going to really resonate with people. And that goes, for example, we have a wonderful partnership with the libraries, the Australian Libraries Association, and that often engages older Australians. They'll go into their library and, and they'll they'll then spend some time working on uh, understanding how they engage with their digital health record, amongst other things. Libraries do a great range of this stuff now. We also do um, work with the Consumer Health Forum and with organisations that support communities um, that have got culturally and linguistically diverse, um, you know, communities within them and to engage people in a way that is going to really work for them. Um, and also with the Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Sector, who do a remarkable job, not only leading frontline services, health services for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but in really engaging um, 
Indigenous Australians in connecting with their with their health record and and sharing with them how to make those changes. What is it? What do you want? And how do you use what you've got at your fingertips to to tell your health practitioners what you do want to see and what you don't and what you want them to have. Um, and so I think part of our role, our continuing role, is really ensuring that we keep up that digital health literacy. We know that it is one of the single biggest barriers to people really meaningfully engaging with their record and with other, um, you know, health digital health-related services. It's so critical that we're, you know, engaging with people on uh, in that story. And it really matters for health workforces too. Um, I was chatting to the, I was addressing, actually, I was lucky to be addressing the College of Nursing, their annual event last week. And nurses, that is one of their front-of-mind conversations. How do they ensure that their competency, their digital health literacy and competency grows as they then think about their practice in a really different way. So it matters for Australians and it matters for the healthcare providers who support them. Amanda, I actually had a question just on, let's, let's just call it digital literacy. Yep. In generally speaking, uh, given the pandemic that, uh, that we've gone through, perhaps still going through, and uh, with many Australians needing just to uh, engage uh, digitally to re receive uh, healthcare services. For people who trad traditionally, uh, perhaps they, they haven't been exposed uh, very much to um, online or, you know, using, using yep. a computer, have you, I, I know, do you, uh, have you done any study around uh, the impact of perhaps, um, you know, these various people needing to use uh, these digital services and how it's impacted digital li literacy just across the nation, Amanda, just this as an ob observation? Uh, so really great question too. So we've done a little bit, and I'll tell you who's done some great work recently, the Consumer Health Forum. They've published a survey recently called Healthcare Reimagined, and they did a really big survey of Australians' um, sentiment towards digital health and how engaged or otherwise they feel. And really interesting sort of statistics have come out of that. Uh, large proportion of Australians signalling that they now want to engage with digital as part of the way they, they think about their health, but also a number of them saying they're frustrated or worried about it. So how do we, they want it, they want to, they know that it's part of the future, but they also still saying, I'm not sure I've got everything at you know, in my toolkit yet to be really confidently doing that. So I can't remember the exact numbers. I think it was about 83% of Australians signalling they really want to engage with digital health tools. And I think about 50-ish, I could be wrong, but was in that sort of ballpark signalling they're still concerned that they need to know that they need their confidence to be lifted with the right sort of tools and, and, and information. Um, we also do routine sentiment testing. Our wonderful communications team at the agency uh, we do a lot of that. We have a, a large group of people that we engage with on a routine basis. So we've got a longitudinal look in terms of how people are feeling about digital health, how they're feeling about their engagement with the health system and in particular with digital tools. And, and we have generally seen growth in people's engagement and confidence. Not huge amounts, but if you look over a sort of several-year time horizon, it has definitely gone up through that time, and and as you'd expect, up the, the it went up further during the last two years. We saw we saw much bigger jumps in people's engagement and confidence. But again, we also see you know sense of we we're still we've still got more to do. 
Can I ask one of the topics that seems to be the top of mind and has been for a long time now is skills and and pressure on skills and pressure on um so if we're talking about the healthcare systems, you mentioned nurses earlier. We talk about GPs are under a huge amount of stress. We've got specialized skills. I know how being able to kind of be in multiple places in quick succession, which obviously a lot of it will be digitally enabled, and we saw telehealth being huge in the pandemic. But trying to, you know, what what do you see the relationship between um, a disparate workforce who are trying to kind of cover as much territory as possible and the digital health enablers to that, but also that kind of authentication that people are in the right place with the right level of access to the right information. Um, it, it's it's growing quickly. What what are the considerations now? I might ask you. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, so I think this comes comes into to our domain a, a bit more just as, as it relates to healthcare providers and the, uh, the, the respective workforce team members within within these healthcare providers. So what, what we see is that um, if you take a, a hospital, for example, uh, they like they typically have very complex digital uh, ecosystems. Um, and you know when you compound uh, that that complexity with so many different uh, persona types, you know, you've got um, you know different types of doctors, Different types of nurses. You've got aged care workers. Like there is, there are just so many different uh, persona types. And so, I guess the challenge that we see when we speak to you know, heads of digital or heads of cybersecurity, um, there is that challenge of how do we give just that right amount of access mm. to the uh, to you know, to the right people at, uh, at any given time. Uh, given that complexity, because when you when when you look to authorize uh, any piece of access to any any particular health worker, uh, there is a a workflow process behind that. Uh, you need to go get approvals from various stakeholders, uh, and then and then that needs to filter down in terms of giving that small piece of access to a particular health work worker within a p- particular healthcare p- provider uh, at, at any given time. So. It is a very complex challenge uh, to solve for, and uh, again, you know, we we do you know, speak about this quite a bit in in this domain for identity security. Pretty interesting, Amanda. So obviously, technology exists, and then workflows and permissions, and you know, all, all of the other stuff around the way that life works in the real world. How do you keep on top of that? And what have been some of the changes, I guess, in the way that the healthcare providers have been using my health record as an example? Has that changed in the dynamics and in the inputs? We're seeing an enormous uh, growth in healthcare providers using my health record and putting information into it. Probably the biggest users are public hospitals. Uh, as well as GPs, we see um, so 99% of GPs are registered for the record and in the high 90s use it. Um, public hospitals about the same, about 97, 98% of public hospitals are, um, would, are registered and use the record. What we're seeing that's quite different, that's new, is where we're seeing a lot more of information put in by one part of the system being looked at by another part of the system. So that suggests the documents are of value in another part. So that's what we're starting to call that network effect, where where it's not just the upload and having it there, it's actually someone else finding that clinically useful at the point of care. And that's where it's starting to really um, grow on itself. So we're definitely seeing that. The and, and so that's that's kind of their part of the story, if you like. Our part of the story is that to make that 
really beneficial to clinicians who are super busy, you know, have already got, they've got their own clinical information systems. How do we ensure that the integration with those systems in the My Health Record is as um, easy and seamless as possible and integrated into their workflows for exactly the reason Nam said. They're, we've got all those workflows and we've got to make sure that it is that the amount of clicks, the amount of screens, all those things that actually get in the way of, you know, when it, you've got a clinician right there with the patient, um, that they are minimised. And so we've, uh, as we see that change, we've been doing quite um, an, a pretty ambitious set of releases on the back end to continually improve not only what you see in your record, but also the back end of it so that it is integrated more fully into clinical information systems. And we do that work with medical software vendors. We have really great relationships with the medical software industry and work on how those two things come together so that when you're a, um, a busy clinician, you get that information as fast as you can with as little um, you know, impost on your time so that you can put that time back into care. Going back 10 years and then getting to this point where suddenly things are gelling and I love the, the network effect where you're seeing that value is being created for the patient and also for the care providers and it, the, where, where are we moving to? So where what's 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 the next? I'm not asking you to look into a crystal ball, but given what you both know, what, how will this continue to refine? You've talked about you know usability and the network effect gaining momentum, but are there other layers that we'll start to be thinking about? Maybe even like high capacity files or what? What's what's next? I'll have a go, yeah, and you then go first. Uh, your I'll, thoughts. I'll go, yeah, between yeah. the two of us, let's see if we can you know crystal go, ball a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I think we're already moving to atomic data. So we're moving away from a document filing system, as as it were, created a decade ago. So, we, you know, people sort of get a bit grumpy about that, but we do need to remember that was 10 years ago. The notion of starting to put things in a record was a pretty good idea. We're now at the point where PDFs are no longer enough. We want atomic data and we're starting to really um, insist as we build out new features and new ways of putting information in that it will therefore be a data that is able then to be searched upon and meaningfully engaged with and then used for better health. So part of it is that's already underway. The second part is it being able to be exchanged through the system. That That is upon us now. So we've always had point-to-point -point exchange and within different systems, exchange can be quite good. What we now need is exchange across systems. And so the big piece of work for us is to build out what we call the gateways and we've got we've done the first tranche of that. There'll be two more to come that enable this seamless passing around of, of information that is easily understood, that is co comprehended on the same way on both ends, and that is able then to be imbibed by the patient and by the carers. Once you've got that exchange across all parts of the system, you then bring it into the hands of the consumer. So that's then creating this into an app. We'll move away from just having a consumer portal have this in an app, and then all of a sudden you've got real-time information in your hand so you get it uh, for you to engage with and your care team starts to orbit around you and not the other way around. And I think that is the big transformation in health, that all of a sudden when we say consumers at the centre of their own health care, this suddenly enables that to become really deeply real because I've got it all with me, I choose how it is shared, and then my team starts to operate around me. And then you start to get preventative care, 
precision medicine, and the the challenging one, but the big one, population population health based data, where at a broad level we start to be able to draw insights from the system that you can then, for example, share to demographic to particular demographics or people at risk or you know um, parents with young babies or people in old care, whatever it is, you can actually start to really segment information that is meaningful, real time, and even preventative while I also tailor the individual experience to me. that That's, if I had a crystal ball, that's kind of where I, and I think that is within our grasp in the coming few years. That's that's not a pipe dream anymore by any stretch. Yeah, if I was just to kind of augment what uh, Amanda just said, uh, I mean, we, we come, uh, I guess, uh, at the digital uh, healthcare discussion from a cyber lens. Uh, so, you know, as we speak to healthcare pr- providers specifically, uh, what I will say is that, you know, in future gazing, uh, in terms of what's what's coming, I think uh, a lot of the healthcare providers are playing catch up. Um, so what I mean by that is that the pandemic has been somewhat of a wake up call because a lot of them have uh, realised how underinvested they've been in digital and cyberspace. And uh, case in point is, uh, you know, I was speaking to a, a CISO for a for-profit hospital and her comment was where banking was 10 to 15 years ago uh, is where healthcare is at the moment as it relates to, to digitisation. And the pressure is now now on from uh, from the board down to digitise and we need to digitise yeah, digitised fast. So uh, so our view is that, you know, with, with more digitisation, this translates to the, the cyber threat landscape growing because obviously at a at an aggregate level, the, the threat the threat surface uh, increases. So, um, so perhaps if we were to look into the future, perhaps yeah, let's see what let's let's look at what banking um, has done or is doing, and perhaps that's where healthcare is moving uh, from from a back end perspective and, and cyber perspective. If that makes sense. I think that's a it's a, a really great place to leave it. You've talked about having you know, an app, it's in someone's hands, it's their providers around the individual, but we also know that like mobile devices are intensely personal. And if you're thinking about security and banking and finance and the security of an app on your phone, there's a lot of um, layers to bring together and, and conclude this conversation. I just would love to thank both of you. It's been a really interesting discussion, lots of light bulb moments about things that, you know, as technologists and people who care about, you know, privacy, and health and, you know, the rising, you know, tide that lifts all boats and the digital health component of that is really important when we talk about, you know, country's health. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Amanda. We hope you enjoyed this Identity Inside Out Getting ID Right podcast brought to you by SailPoint. For more, keep tuning in to innovationoz.com forward slash podcasts or visit salepoint.com.